Welcome to the Swedish Innovation Podcast. My name is Sandra Bourbon and today we will talk to Johan Arntyr. Johan is a management consultant who knows what you need to know when it comes to innovation in public transportation. When can we start skip the bus or the subway and instead travel with autonomous vehicles? And is it really a good idea to make public transportation free? Yuan will give you the answers and also give his best advice on how to lead innovation in organizations where the resistance is high and resources are limited. Let's talk to Yuan. So welcome Yuan to a Swedish Innovation Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure being invited. What did you do today like before before this podcast? Right. Well, so I had the pleasure of uh, staying up most night with my my son, who's uh, one and a half years old. So we partied from uh, one to three a.m. Uh, so I would say it was an early start for me this morning. But uh, uh, once I got him off to kindergarten, I was off to uh, to to work. So it was uh, it was uh, it's been a long day thus far, uh, which is uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting day. How about you? Um, today uh, I've been working uh, from a home office and like now post corona or not it's not really post corona but kind of it's like I sit here all day long and I become like so lazy so I just went out to do some uh, sorting the trashes outside to get a little fresh air so that's maybe not super innovative but uh, uh, it was good anyway uh, let's start off with five quick questions to get to know you a little bit better and it's just to answer like what pops up it doesn't really uh, you don't need to think a lot i think so uh, first question how do you like to spend a saturday morning if you can choose whatever well in that case right now given uh given my son uh it's it's a morning with him basically getting up early um perhaps just with him um uh, getting catching some some breakfast, but then uh, obviously that day it'll be sunny, so I'll be outside with him, and he'll be happy to hang out. And then eventually my wife wife will wake up, and then I'll serve her some fresh coffee and uh and uh some pastry. That would be my kind of ideal uh, morning Saturday morning. Sounds amazing. Hmm. Uh, which one is your favorite app right now? Well, <laughs> I would say Teams. Actually, I mean it's 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 uh. So you, you kind of referenced uh, Corona or COVID, uh, and I would say that uh, before uh, before Corona and COVID, I would have a lot of interactions with people that I would find to be better uh, done with, with Teams or basically an, a reciprocal app. Uh, but now post-COVID, I find that people are at much greater, to a much greater extent, happy to, to, to interact uh, in a vertical or a virtual world, rather. Uh, so I would say uh, perhaps not so much uh, the app as, as the functionality in itself that I'm thoroughly enjoying, and especially now being a, being a consultant, and again, um, I find that really, really useful. So I would say functionality perhaps over app. But that functionality is brilliant. If you would have a non-Swedish guest over for dinner, what would you cook or serve them? Well, I've 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 made this uh, mistake perhaps before, um, so it wouldn't be this one. But I think it might be a funny story. So. Um, when I was doing my my master's degree in Uppsala, we did have some exchange uh, students from Ethiopia, and uh, 
it came to me naturally to, to have them over for dinner. And uh, so I thought, what, what is this typical Swedish dish? Well, obviously it's it's herring that has been uh, put in a salty, uh, salty, sugary liquid, uh, but it's raw. So basically it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bastard, it's a bastard son of sushi. Um, and I served this with, with beer and Swedish uh, vasabrad, knäckebrad, uh, which is a dry rye bread with some cheese. And beer, and they were really, really uh, content and um, uh, to eat to eat the the bread with cheese and drink the beer, but they left the fish un, uh, untouched, basically. And afterwards, I understood that well, that's perhaps an acquired taste. So, uh, given that experience, it was it was a good anecdote. But I would serve uh, Swedish meatballs. I think that's a that's a general um, a high hitting uh, meal. I would say, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Not herring, then. Not herring, exactly. Yeah, not pickled herring. We we actually served that for our wedding, like as a starter, because my husband is French and we had people from all over the world. And actually, we ran out of herring, so they liked it. Wow. But yeah, it's a matter of taste, as you say. Right. What was your favorite thing to do when you were around ten years old? Right. Well, I would think it would be winning, uh, playing with marbles. So I had a knack to to hustle. So basically what would happen would my grandmother would give me 10, 10 marbles and we would have a game where I would uh, constantly multiply uh, my amount of marbles uh, to the discontent of my classmates and uh, their parents. Uh, but I would say that that's something that is kind of... Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's something that is that is that is that I remember and that is significant because my mom would get calls from from parents saying, you know, they just got marbles and where, where are they now? So they would give back the marbles. So um, that is that's a strong memory, and obviously I I like the hustle, I suppose. So that's uh, yeah, that's something I remember. And the last question: If you could bring one thing with you to a deserted island, what would you bring? Satellite telephone. <laughs> so i could get out of there with a charged battery um and 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 if in this scenario there aren't any satellite telephones i was supposed i would bring um uh something to make fire with i suppose so i can cook stuff but uh yeah a satellite telephone would be a good starter (laughs) how about you okay oh i don't know yeah maybe the same i think it's a good idea i will bring that too okay I, I don't want to stay there, so <laughs> right. it's a good idea. <laughs> exactly. On, on, on the, on the baseline of a deserted island, it feels like a place you don't want to stay for a long time. Exactly. Okay, great. Now we know you a little bit better, Iwan. But I know that you have your career. You have been a management consultant, and then you worked as an employee for a public transportation company, and now you're back as a management consultant. And uh, you know a lot about public uh, innovation in public transportation but can you give us a little bit like uh, what's your career like and what uh, what when it comes to innovation what do you like focusing on right well so i would say that um my background i'm, a, I'm an economist at, at, at the core and when i when i finalized my studies i asked myself the question so what i want to do and i didn't quite know but i wanted i knew that i wanted to create impact somehow through my my work life and so a good starting point point felt like going into consultancy given the fact that you work with multiple clients in different situations with different needs 
And uh, one of the last assignments that I that I did, I, I worked with uh, a big Swedish telecoms operator uh, within their kind of um, innovation hub or innovation uh, uh, core uh, to find new product and services building on their base uh, competency, namely connectivity. And um, somehow that, that made me understand that, okay, so impact can be achieved in many ways, but from my viewpoint, either by legislation or providing new products and um, uh, services that actually change the way people behave, right? That's also a very strong way to, to make impact. Just look like, uh, what, I mean, Tesla has done, right? They brought th uh, through a new service that actually has been driving a complete change in the, in the auto, auto industry. Um, so, so having been in consultancy for, for eight years plus minus, I felt that, okay, it's time to actually to go into a sector and, and kind of marry my understanding of, you know, what a base, uh, core services in, 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 in consultancy is, and then understanding a sector, right? And, um, uh, I got in dialogue with, with the public transport operator and understood this is a, this is a field where you have a lot of things happening. So public transport has been provided the same way the last hundred years. You have a network, which is then run by trams, trolleys, uh, buses, but they are usually run at, at fixed times and it's a very rigid product. And when you put that product and you compare it to uh, new technologies that are entering, electrification, automation, autonomous vehicles, as well as the way that people uh, move given restrictions of global warming, um, I understood that hey, this is the sector, and this is a this is a this is a field where a lot of things are going to be happening, not just through um, you know through external forces by legislature, but also new technologies. So I wanted to be a part of that. So I joined a, a global transport operator who currently work within bus transport. And after a while there, I was asked whether I wanted to work with product development and, and innovation. And I said, yes, that's, that's really, really exciting and interesting. Um, but also working within... How did you manage yeah. to like... Uh, uh, get them to propose that like I don't know for people out there listening like mm. I want to work with innovation not a lot is happening in my company like yeah did you talk about it like how did you do so I would say that um well first of all try to understand the way the company sees itself and understand also what your main clients or your main customer the way they see you so that will give you a base understanding of what, what's the current position. And then usually there's a strategy, there's some kind of idea, vision or mission, something saying that, okay, this is where we want to go, right, in the future. And sometimes, usually I would, I would say there's a, there's, a, there's a gap between the way you're seen today and the way the company wants to see itself in the future. And I would say in most cases, usually there's some kind of innovation demand, there's, there's some kind of need to change the way things are done, right? And so what I did basically was I, 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 I collected information on the way our main clients, so the way that public transport works is that there are usually a few big clients and they kind of, you know, set a lot of the agenda. So I, I understood that, okay, hey, we, we are seen this way today, but we need to change the way that we provide our services tomorrow to be able to be relevant. And one of the ways of doing that would be innovation. And innovation sounds kind of very um, high-flying. In my world, it's just understanding, okay, what do we need to do in a different way that we're doing today? And what 
other things do we need to start doing to be able to take us to that to that uh, future basically so i did that i i, I talked with our clients i understood the, the gap and then i also started basically pitching uh pitching the the the, the c-level of, of the company saying hey we have a gap here and we're not going to be relevant tomorrow if we don't start doing anything and yeah so on, and also i would say a combination of luck and skill i got a few a few big kind of wins quick when i was there and so that gave me a little bit of um social capital to say that hey i'm, I'm a voice you should listen to so i would say a combination of luck and, and uh, skill like always great i interrupted you and then then you now you work there for almost four years and now you're back as a consultant what do you do now as a consultant right so so what i saw was that um uh, there are a lot of um changes that are happening uh you know and i i kind of uh i long to be back in in, a, in an environment where you're really working on on uh on changing an industry and i felt that the consultancy um role was was fitting to that and then i got in dialogue with with a partner i've learned that usually um sure it's interesting to talk about companies but the people that you're working with is kind of the main the main point to choose from at least for me and i, I started talking to him and i understood that he was he was he was a competent guy and uh yeah so i joined back at the consultancy life now and i'm working with mainly clients within public transport to drive um, attractiveness in public transport as well as, as, as efficiency and effectiveness uh so and i think those two are interlinked uh, and uh, yeah, so, so I'm back in the consultancy role uh, right now, which is exciting for me. Attractiveness and effectiveness. What do you do when it comes to innovation? What is happening in this field, like public transportation at the moment? Right. So I would say that there's um, the way that public transport is being procured in, in the Swedish market and perhaps also globally is basically looking through um, a lens of quality. So basically, uh, the, the, the procuring party has an idea of what needs to be delivered and how it needs to be delivered. Secondly, uh, you have the price, right? So what is the most competitive price that you can provide this service given the, the quality uh, requirement? And so if you start looking uh, at the, the cost side or the effectiveness side of it, it there's a constant drive to um, basically work with cost innovation. So uh, I believe that, you know, one of the Skype, Skype founders was very um, successful in doing this, basically understanding, okay, so what's the, what's the really the core service that needs to be provided here? And what is the minimal cost that we can actually do this, right? So a lot of people think about innovation as always like driving a new market. We can also actually work with cost innovation, right? So that's something that is very, very relevant. So basically, given your service requirement, how can you provide this in the best possible way? And there you can do an incremental um, betterment of, of the service, or you can actually try completely new ways of doing it. Uh, and I'm sure that most of the listeners have an idea of, you know, within their company, uh, what what you know what efficiency requirements there are and how you work with that. On the attractiveness side of it, uh, so basically for for public transport, you would have sometimes um, a, a collaboration that runs over ten years. And if you just think about the last ten years, what's happened in your city, in your uh, the way people move and the way people live. Obviously, there's a lot of things that change, right? You have a COVID uh, crisis coming that really pinpoints that, you know, the way we move changes always. And for relevant for, for, for public transport to be relevant, that needs to, to answer that, right? So it's constantly analyzing the way people move and also 
making public transport attractive. So it's understanding the client need, but also challenging this is the, the old way that you're providing public transport, not just having a fixed line network where buses run and you get a bus every 10 minutes. But uh, I mean, in Sweden, you have um, tax financed public transport. And when you take tax money to finance something, obviously you want a, a return on, on that investment from a tax point point of view, right? And so the core delivery of public transport would be taking a person out from their car and putting in them into a bus, right? And for that to be able to happen, I don't know if, if you have a, a, a car, Sandra, or the listener has one, but I do, and it's a tremendous service. It's a really, really good service, right? I mean, most of us... But still, it stays there, like, it's used, what is it, like, one two... or two hours per day. So that's not sustainable for the future at all. Correct. And so, so the way the the way that a person in public transport working with attractivity is trying to understand. Okay, so for some users that live on you know in the rural area where there's a low provision of public transport, it might not be relevant to let go of your car. But for a lot of us, uh, it's a it's a tremendous service, but it's a it's a nice to have rather than a must have, right? So the question would be what to what extent does public or what kind of service does a public transport network need to provide for for you and I and other people who are car owners to let go of that service because what you're getting down to you're talking about sustainability right so if you look through if you look through the lens of a city that has a certain amount of of infrastructure if everyone were to run their own cars there would be constant constant traffic jams so there's a there's a limitation there furthermore you have the ecological point of view where obviously i mean now the latest reports from from uh, from uh uh, from from our climate experts, we we have proof now that climate change is not probably uh, man made. It is man made, right? And we cannot continue the way that we're working today, uh, or the way we transport ourselves today. And lastly, uh, for those people that do not have the financial means, obviously there needs to be an attractive network. That was a long way of saying basically, the 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 the, the key focal point here is understanding how can we provide an attractive service for users uh, to the extent that they're willing to let go of their car. That is the main attractiveness side of public transport. And so innovation are driven in both those worlds constantly. Um, the first the first one, the cost side, usually you have a complete discretion to do whatever you want as a public transport provider. However, on the customer side, there you need to work very closely in collaboration with the public transport authority, namely the public uh, party that is procuring it and that presents a lot of challenges uh, that perhaps we will discuss uh, in, a, in a later stage um, yeah <laughs> I would really like to take I don't have a car but my husband has so can, mm. I kind of have a, a or sometimes I have a car mm. but um, now I moved like I, I, I lived in the city before I mm. don't anymore and now it's like it takes forever to get to uh, my office it's mm. like it takes one hour and mm. nay it's not convenient at all i would have like i would like to have an autonomous vehicle that fetched me and maybe some some people i mean more people and then like traveling together but it's like how how far away are we from mm. somebody can pick me up without being a somebody it's just some kind of little egg picking me up here mm. outside my door 
Right. Now, I think that's a super interesting question in, in two dimensions. So I would say answering the when is incredibly difficult. I don't know if, you, uh, if you're if you familiar with Waymo, which is the, the, the Google approach to providing autonomous vehicles. So basically, Google and the Alphabet uh, group has now a stake in providing autonomous vehicles and actually taking a passenger from A to B. Uh, and they're doing this right now in Phoenix, for example. So you can actually go there and, and ride with, a, with, with this kind of shuttle. Uh, however, it's still in the, the test phase, but it's, it's, it's getting closer and closer to being, you know, industrialized and provided on a broad basis. So um, <laughs> and then the, that's the first question. So I'm not comfortable giving you an exact when, rather, but I would say that there it is a question of when, not if, because the 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 gains in effectivity is so tremendous. Uh, if you look at you know the public transport sector right now, and you look what the main drivers of, of cost is, it's actually the labor part of it, right? So suddenly, whenever you provide an autonomous vehicle, you take that that cost out of the calculation, and suddenly you have a vehicle that is that can provide a ride at the same cost levels as public transport today, right? It's comparable. And if you were provided with the choice of actually going in an autonomous vehicle, being able to work, have a meeting, doing whatever, uh, or riding in a bus crammed with other people, I would guess that you would prefer the first the first uh, alternative. Definitely. Right. And then we get back to kind of the 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 require or the the set limitations in the in the current infrastructure because if everyone were to sit in a private autonomous vehicle, then that would completely um, uh, jam the streets with traffic, right? So, and then what this leads us to to realize is then okay, so right now we know that there will be a, a given point in time where autonomous vehicle will be provided. The second question will be then: Should it be provided by a private party or a public party, and then restricting you know the supply or providing a supply, and then making sure that it's 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 cha- channeled in a sustainable way, right? And I think that this is one of the top questions that a lot of people in, in strategic positions throughout the world are, are thinking right now. So how who should take this marketplace and who should do it now in an efficient way? Because there are going to be really really big implications on how the infrastructure is used and whether we're trans- transporting ourselves uh, in, 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 a, in a sustainable way, basically. Um, so sorry to not be able to give you a straight answer, uh, <laughs> but there are really interesting implications that are given from this, at least. Do you believe in making the public transportation free? I saw that they just did that in, uh, where was it, like Switzerland or? I believe yeah. Luxembourg, yeah. So Luxembourg, yeah. Yes, and and also uh, Tallinn in, in uh, Estonia, they've made it free uh, for their inhabitants. However, tourists need to pay. So I would say, uh, from, my, from my understanding, it's a bad idea. And the reason why I say that is not that um, free is per se bad, what is bad is that you have a crowding effect that pushes away other innovation. So, for example, in, in Stockholm, and I believe a lot of, of cities throughout the world right now, they've gotten a new way of transporting themselves, namely um, small electrical scooters. And to some uh, people, they find it to be a, 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 a bad thing, and some people find it to be great. But from my perspective as a taxpayer, I'm thinking, hey, this is lovely. We have... Um, provision of transport that is completely privately financed and it doesn't stress the current infrastructure to a great extent and somehow it relieves the system from people that are going with buses or other public transport right but 
if we had a completely free public transport, then obviously all other smart ways of providing and all other business models that could provide transport would not have any start for their for their business. I mean, they wouldn't have any income, right? So I would say that the in my opinion, the way public transport should be financed, it should be according to the current infrastructure and making sure that the main sustainability goals are being provided to that extent, not further, not, and then you need to associate a cost with that. But no, free public transport is not a good idea in my opinion. Okay, that's a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, you could do a Singaporean approach where you could say that uh, given your income, you could be subventionized for, so say if you're a low income earner, but you're in a great need of public transport, then let's provide it to you because you're you need to take yourself to your workplace or you need to put your children to public, uh, uh, you know, school, whatever. Um, but I, I believe that there, I, I, being an economist, I believe that pricing has an effect of allocating resources and, and making sure that people who actually need the service are willing to pay for it. Because what happens with free is that people use it in, in, in independently of their need. There's no allocation of, 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 of um, yeah, supply to meet demand, basically. Yeah, great. Hmm, now we talked about a autonomous vehicles do you see any other like trend in the public transportation uh, sector when it comes to innovations yes indeed i would say that uh, there are some like really big mega trends um so right now what is happening is that you have uh, a lot of of places in the world where you're where you're um basically going to uh, electrification so you're going to electrically run vehicles and the reason why this is interesting is because it, it, it changes the complete setup of public transport so uh, when you have uh, a bus that is being charged that stresses the 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 base infrastructure for 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 electricity and it, it, you need to have an understanding of, of the infrastructure which is completely different from having fossil fuels because in a fossil fuel situation you can have a tank with a thousand liters of gas or whatever and then you can distribute that whenever you want but electricity you know you have natural peaks and lows of usage and this needs to be kind of found out what's also exciting about that is that you have a lot of new collaborations coming up and coming. Um, so you have ABB working with Northwalt, you have Scania working with you know other parties that naturally would be their competitors because everyone is trying to understand, so what what is our place in this new world and where do we have value to be created? So that's kind of like a big, big picture. A little bit of smaller picture would be um, from the cost point of view. So a day uh, when you have, for example, late evenings, I don't know uh, if you take the bus late sometimes or, or outside of the morning and afternoon rush, but at least I find a lot of times, and I know this is supported by evidence, is that buses run empty because um, we've decided from, from a political point of view that there needs to be a base provision of, of public transport, right? The problem then is that you have buses running without passengers. So basically you're providing a service which no one is using and you have a cost that is constantly being, being put out there. A way to solve for that problem is actually taking away the fixed line on a set, you know, set time recurring and replacing it with a with a taxi service um so what you could say is that 
you could, for example, if you have three lines running in parallel with three bus drivers, you, and you only have one passenger per second hour, you could remove those lines and then provide a taxi that drives people in a shared vehicle instead. And in that case, you can actually decrease cost and increase service. So for you, for example, that now live outside of, of the center of Stockholm, you could you could have an idea where, okay, you could be picked up at a certain time. They could transport you to a trunk line defined as a, uh, a recurring quick uh, public transport, whether it be subway or not. And um, I would say that there's a great deal of potential for rural areas and off-peak. I'm sorry to use uh, public transport uh um, uh, lingo, but basically outside of morning and afternoon rush. Yeah, like not rush hours. Correct, yes. Uh, and this is a really, really interesting area. And um, yeah, and, and I think that the technology is there. It's just a matter of getting sus- enough buy-in from public trans- uh, for public procurement uh, parties to be able to test this and, and actually see whether it works or not. Um, yeah. We uh, like this electrical roads that they are building. Is that something for the future of bus lines or is it, it feels like who will own this or like, how will that work? Do you know anything about that? Right. So, so um, I know that uh, we're currently building throughout Sweden, a few of those um, to see. Uh, and I mean that I think to begin with has a lot to do with supporting uh, heavy, um, heavy transport of, 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 uh, um, n- not not people basically. So you have goods and and that are are being transported. Um, I haven't really seen the complete idea of how this should work. I know that you have electrical roads that will sustain charging. Obviously, it facilitates uh, the usage of ele- electrification, but I think it's still in a very experimental phase. And I think that the business case for it needs to be proved. Um, what I see now, the general trend is that you're going more and more to to batteries that are being charged at certain fixed points. And I believe also that the rate of development throughout the, the battery you know, sector is, is very, very strong right now. So we'll see. I mean, I, we might be in a situation you know, where, where everyone is... Or basically, it's like we're trying to find out what the standard is, right? It's the same thing for VHS. I don't know if you remember like the tapes that were used or CD-ROM or Minidisc. We're just trying to find what is the best fit for the product and this is one of those tries to see okay how should vehicles be charged uh so i'd say time would tell before you talk a little bit about when you are working for the public sector at a privately held company like you have a lot of pressure because you won on price you need to have high quality like how do you innovate in that kind of uh, like environment Right. So I would say that um, in any company where you have very strong service levels defined uh, throughout um, you know, the, the agreements with your customers, you need to understand what is the core today and how you can separate um, uh, the, the core business and create environments where you can experiment on changing the ways things are done. So, so my experience working with, uh, with, with, with public, uh, with public transport is that, you know, you have very, uh, you have a very careful customer that is run, uh, not on, uh, trying to improve things throughout the cycle of, of, of partnership, rather they prefer to have a steady, 
delivery of the service because i don't know i'm sure uh, to whomever is listening you see always political headlines in, in in newspapers and usually you hear about things when they go wrong so for example school x hasn't provided service to uh, to their kids or somebody died at a hospital uh, or a bus blew up somewhere right and it, it it makes sense. I mean, these are hard-earned tax money, tax taxpayer money, right? We need to be careful on how the this money is spent. However, I think most of us also understand that if we never allow ourselves to try out new things, we will always be stuck on the way that we're doing things, and improvements will be hard to come by. So I would say that the way to 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 work with innovation in that environment is. Uh, again in, in two sides when it comes to the attractiveness of the service when you're trying to experiment with the client interface or the way that public transport is being provided to the customer you need a really good buy-in from a strong person in the organization you're working with someone who really wants to change something or they're willing to improve the service and also they're strong enough to hold the risk it implies because uh, you will always have a worried politician saying, hey, what if this doesn't work out? What if the customers aren't satisfied? And then that person in the bureaucracy needs to say, I'm carrying that risk. I'll take personal responsibility. But if we don't do this, we risk losing uh, attractivity and then more people. We buy cars in the case of, of public transport. Does that need to be the CEO that will be this person or... Well, when you look on the public transport side, uh, for on on the customer side, I would say actually a politician. You need to you need a buy in from a politician that sees that okay, my my uh, my voters want to see a change in my city, and the cost of not doing something is greater than trying something and failing. That really believes this and pushes out this message, and then secondly creates a. Uh, an environment throughout the bureaucracy where tests are allowed to be made, right? And mistakes are allowed to be made because, I mean, all of us that have worked with innovation or are interested in it knows that it's a lot of failing and a lot of trying before you actually reach the desired result, right? And you actually need to create an environment with a person that will own the risk and has the ability to fail and communicate about this. On the public uh transport operators that are on the private side of things in the same way i would say i've seen you need to isolate the risk you need to make sure that uh, you have an environment where tests are being made and that you can see the the, the development and and failing is is allowed and encouraged uh, and i would say that that's very difficult because if you have a, a whole organization that is rigged to do exactly what is said in in, in a contract that's a really that's a new way of thinking right People working with business to consumer and or apps or whatever that are directly reaching a, a customer, they're constantly testing, you know, their services. But in this case, you might not do that very often. So, being able to, you know, have that trans, you know, transferring that way of mind and allowing yourself to fail is is a huge challenge, but really, really interesting also to be a part of. Can you do anything to? described like to see the development to like visualize it how do you measure it how can you like spread this idea that you're actually doing something that actually goes goes well absolutely no, I, I would say that the first phase is just trying to to visualize uh, a product development 
process. So I would say, you know, you have a pipe where you collect ideas of, of problem areas that your customers have, either externally or internally in your company. And then you show the way that you're prioritizing and developing these ideas. And when you do that, suddenly you will get an understanding of, okay, so for example, in, in your organization, you might have a need to take out two or three new, prod new products per given time period, uh, let's say a year. Well, in that case, you need to have a lot of ideas and you need to see how they develop through these different phases. Uh, so I would say that's the first step of, of vi just visualizing, getting, you know, having a clear idea and pitch on, you know, what you're, you're, you want to do. Uh, usually when you do that, you will need money, right? So you, you'll have a CFO or a CEO saying, okay, what's your business case? Uh, what's your promise on, on what you're going to deliver? <laughs> and that's a second difficult, diff difficult question because at this stage, you might not have a very clear understanding of exactly how the growth of the product or the use of the product will be to begin with. So what you need to do then is you need to understand, okay, what's the market size? You can find early indicators on how who will use this, and then you need to start tracking this and visualizing it throughout the product uh, development process. But, but uh, I mean, there are a lot of great, you know, literature on this. Uh, you can have a balanced scorecard. That's a classic approach by Kaplan and others. You know, they have a, a section on, you know, innovation uh, uh, KPIs. I would say a, a newer take on this would be Eric Rice and his, you know, startup literature that has gotten a lot of, you know, uh, interest and, 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 I think it depends on where your organization is and what their maturity level is. And then, but, but just trying to visualize is a good starting point and, and getting also actually prototypes out there to touch and feel. Uh, I don't know what your experience is, Sandra, but, but mine is that when you have a, a, a gadget, an app, something to, to, to try, it, it becomes much more real and you get sudden, you know, instant buy-in from, from the parties that you need to get that from. So, yeah. It it sounds like in public transportation, I don't know, it's just maybe my predefined view of it. Like a prototype there, it sounds very, very cost. A lot of money needs to be pumped into a new bus or whatever it can be. Like, how do you make sure to test quickly and fail fast in this environment? Right, so I would actually challenge that view. I would say that, yes, of course, it's, it's really difficult to... Uh, test out a new metro station or a metro line, right? But but if we bring it to a little more, you know, concrete and small level. So one really, really exciting project that I was involved with before, uh, before I left uh, my, my former employer was trying out charging stations for mobile devices on buses, right? So the idea would be that uh, travelers today uh, would want to charge their, uh, their mobile device, whether it be a tablet or a cell phone. And sure, you could do this through a USB, um, port but sometimes you you just have two or three stations you want to go on right so you want to jump off and jump jump off uh, jump on and jump off so the service that would and maybe be... you don't even have the charger with you so like the right. cable indeed indeed so the idea would be that you have a little hub where you can actually take your your pre-charged battery that has you know uh, USB mini and uh, you know all the you know connectivity you need for various devices and then you can jot off and you charge your cell phone and after you've been at the bar or whatever you come back to the bus and you just plug it back in and then you pay per per charge minute or whatever right so to start out with when when this idea was presented when then it was, you know all the worries in terms of how do we connect this how do we service this you know obviously all the problems you know jumped up directly so uh what i did together with the with 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 the collaboration partner was just you know getting a, a hub 
getting it with a logo with with you know the 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 uh, the Stockholm uh, uh, public transport logo, and then we literally took it in a backpack and just put it in front of you know uh, uh, you know the, the decision group. And so, you know, they <laughs> they walked over, they started looking at it, tinkering with it, and it was like magic, right? It was some kind of magical spell because suddenly they could see it out there, right? And suddenly you would get the buy-in. So I would say it, it's about bringing it down to a level where, um, where it's understandable. And if it's a big change, then just try to break it down, make it easy. Take a cardboard box and just make something out of it and then see how it works because... When you do this, you will also actually get buy-in from the CFO saying that, okay, hey, this isn't a, if you show them that a test doesn't need to be costly, they should also want to, you know, test it in a small environment rather than going live with a big change and then, you know, with all the risk that is, uh, what, what all the risk associated with that, basically. I don't know if that, that's an answer to your question, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think that's a super smart advice. You talked about like, okay, gather a lot of ideas to hopefully in the end get some kind of smart innovation. How do you gather all these ideas? Do you have any like super concrete uh, tip? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, so basically, I think most companies uh, have some kind of... Uh, box for ideas and improvements right um so first of all but but my my view that i think a lot of time people report these issues you know you don't get any feedback like do people any do anything with this and then uh, oh the employees stop coming with innovative tips so uh, how do you make this work indeed so so i think that's the starting point right first of all just um doing an inventory on what what channels do you have currently for for taking advice and just to finish the sentence i would say most companies have it like you say but they're not they're not being used right so okay, <laughs> so it's getting somewhere the sponsorship and, and activating your communication channels and starting a feedback loop where you answer all your incoming you know uh advices so you know some some might be that you know you don't enjoy the the body odor of your colleague or whatever i mean some things you can just disregard right because they're not but, but still you want to have a feedback loop and some will be really good ideas that's one way of getting it another way of getting it is looking at your organization and saying okay who uh, who in the organization are closest to the customer or the customer interface and and getting in dialogue with them and or the customer so depending on where you're doing are you trying to improve you know your cost efficiency then try, talk about the products that are, that are used for that internally is it something that is going to change their customer view of the product talk with the customer so just trying to get an understanding of who the recipient of the product and service is getting in the dialogue with them quickly and then sourcing their pain points on where improvements need to be make, made um and then getting a dialogue going um i would say just you know don't fear of talking with the the the, the recipient of the product um that's a good way to start and then also quantify yeah. it yeah yeah great okay then you have all your ideas how do you prioritize them like how you said you need to prioritize them like uh, which one do you want to work more on how do you do that right so um for 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 for, uh, for for the ease of conversation let's 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 talk about the the cost side let's talk about cost innovation uh that's i would say particularly interesting and, and at least easy within most organizations because you usually have full freedom of 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 working with it right with, a, with whomever party so 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 you would have to understand two two aspects i would say is the problem real in the sense that if we solve for this problem 
a, a real value is being created for for the recipient. So, um, and and also, are there enough people or problem owners that they cre- this creates enough value in the organization that it's worth the investment needs to be made? So, I would say that you need to run uh, run deep in the problem description. Um, so, um, understanding really that usually when you ask someone what 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 their problem is, they would say that well, yeah, the um, the software I'm using is not is not good enough, right? Uh, but that's just a symptom. You really need to go back to okay, what what problem are you trying to solve here? Um, and once you have a clear understanding of that, then you need to ask how many people have this problem. Is it just a particular problem for an individual, or do mo- more people have this problem? Once those two questions are asked, then the next the next phase would basically be. Well, yeah, let's provide for for a prototype, some kind of very base solution and seeing if this actually answers and solves for the problem. And then you start scaling and testing that and yeah, back and forth. I don't know if that's uh, very vague, um, but hopefully uh, it's it's concrete enough. Yeah, man, that's that's good good enough. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm thinking about like also when you prioritize. Uh, I'm sure you want to like align it to the strategy of the company, or maybe if you have like this innovation strategy that a lot of companies talking about. Like, what's your view on that? Do you need like a separate innovation strategy, or do you just how do you align it, and uh, do you need an innovation strategy? Right. Well. Um, I would say it depends on what kind of innovation you want to drive. Uh, what are you looking to do? So um, usually when you, when you have a company, uh, that company is good on doing a few things for some set uh, segment of customers, right? So um, you have a telecoms operator. They're good at providing connectivity through um, calling each other and surfing. And you have a bus operator. They're good at providing bus transport, right? Um, so when you're within your market uh, and you're doing what you're good at, you can do incremental, you know, uh, innovation. You can change the the way things are being done at a small scale, and you can constantly get better. In that case, I would say that yes, you need an innovation strategy in the sense that you need to have a cost allocated with a person responsible of challenging the way things are done, right? That, but then I would say that that's good enough, and then you can allocate that budget and you can have that running along along. However, usually what you will find is that when you're working with innovation, you very quickly come up on the theme of what products should should the company provide, right? I mean, for whom do we exist and how should that be done? And sometimes you want to do breakouts. So um, you want to try, try, you see that you have a core company somewhere and you want to try to do something new. So for example, again, looking to public transport, um, Nobina, Swedish uh, uh, company, uh, they have uh, under you know the COVID period, the pandemic started to providing um, tests for COVID, which is something that they haven't done before. But they saw that okay, hey, we have the capacity uh, with people in vehicles to bring tests out to customers, and there's a clear need of this being done right now. And let's try for try this right. Uh, what then happens is that you suddenly move from being a public transport operator to being within the field of health. And you have a lot of risk associated with that. You need to understand what certificates do we need, what processes do we need, and how do you allocate that risk in a, in a good way. Suddenly then you have a new question. So how, what competencies do we need to, to do this in a good way? And furthermore, uh, how should we isolate the risk if something happens, right? And so, yes, I would say there needs to be an innovation strategy, but it depends. The strategy should inform 
uh, how risk should be allocated and in what ways should it be a daughter company that starts and then fails if it doesn't work out? And how big of a deal is the innovation? Is it disruptive or is it just incremental? Um, yeah, so indeed, yes, I think it's good to have a strategy if you want to go a little outside of the core market that you're working in right now to be able to handle good ideas. Um, I think most of us know ideas that have been bubbled in their respective organization and some some new and fresh company takes that ideas and make makes a deal or a business out of it and you feel like why why didn't my company do this we we already knew this market was up and coming and usually it's a question of being able to allocate resources and isolating the risk i would say to be able to take that uh to take the market oh. Yeah, innovation, it's always a lot of risk. And if you manage those risks, as you say, in different ways, depending on a sustaining innovation or if it's disruptive innovation, you need to take different uh, approaches to that and then you can uh, mitigate the risks. Cool. So let's round up now. And we talked a lot about innovation in the public transportation I would like to hear, like, what's your three three tips when it comes to innovation? We don't need to talk about in public in uh, public transportation, but like when it comes to innovation, and if you're working, maybe then as a consultant as you're doing now, like, how do you make it happen? Innovation. Hmm. Um, no, I would say independently, if you're a consultant or or an employee. Um, start doing <laughs> maybe not wait for someone's approval or someone to you know give you a go i think that you know you know yourself whether you want to make a change or not within the organization you are and if you if you find yourself you know wanting to be a part of a change then then be that change start doing something try something challenge people build your own solution and then see you know if someone wants to join you like don't overcomplicate don't wait for your ceo to bring forth an innovation agenda i mean you might you might need to change company or wait for text 10 next years you know uh so be be courageous uh you know take whatever budget you have steal a little from it and do an innovation run and then if you succeed then then you'll get you know started and then you might find your fun for the next project uh, so do more talk less and then see what happens that's my number one a, yeah yeah this is a great advice do you have more or i think that was like enough that was like super good yeah no no i was i would i would stop there because i find that you know a lot of ourselves find talking a lot about, you know, methodology and, you know, um, a lot of these things. But when you think about it, a lot of the times great new products have come up. I mean, there's always like the story about someone starting in their garage doing something. And I mean, it doesn't have to be different when you're in a company. Like if you have an idea or and if you're passionate about changing something, just start. Start doing it and then see where it takes you. Worst case, you wasted your time, but at least then you don't have to be upset with yourself because you didn't do anything. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> Just start. Just start. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yuan, for joining Swedish Innovation. Where can people find you? Right. Well, I mean, you would find me most easily at LinkedIn. Uh, so just uh, if you have any questions or ideas you want to bounce off, um, please just look me up. Johan Arntur, I suppose there might be a tagline uh, within, within you know, this this publishment of, of the pod. And lastly, thank you so much for having me, Sandra. Uh, pleasure. Uh, pleasure being able to contribute. And hopefully your listeners uh, find it useful as well. 
Thank you so much and thank you for listening. And remember, innovation make the impossible possible and it all starts with you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>